It's a pleasure for me to be here this morning to, uh, to share with you. I started in Spanish already, which is the next service. So if you don't get it all, maybe you can pick something up in Spanish. But uh, it's a joy for me to share God's word with you this morning, and you can hear the emotion building in my, in my voice that comes from my heart. But first, I want to make a little comment that I just rejoice at last week's study of the chapters of 4 and 5 of Revelation that were so thrilling and encouraging. Thank God for Carlos, for Samoa, and the worship team for a magnificent presentation. Come on, come on. Let's hear it. And just like every time I get up here and preach, my nose is starting to run. I don't know what it is. An allergy, maybe, to the pulpit. In the late 90s, there was a popular TV show called Early Edition. The show featured a young man who mysteriously received the city's newspaper a day ahead of time. And because he always knew the future, the man's task in each episode was to save people from a tragedy or trial he had read about in tomorrow's newspaper. Wouldn't it be nice to possess this young man's knowledge of future events? Well, in a sense, we do. But before we begin looking into the first six seals judgments in chapter six of Revelation, I want to give some brief contextual information that we can only get from other biblical passages regarding the next event in the end times calendar, the rapture. And so we'll look at a, couple of ver a few verses from 1 Thessalonians, and I think they'll be on the screen. And here they are. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, or the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with him, we who are still alive will remain, and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words, Paul says. Okay, can we go to the eschatology? There we go. The rapture then is the coming of the Lord Jesus from heaven to the sky above the earth to take all the saints, that is, believers in Jesus as their Savior, and take them back to heaven First, those who have died, and then those who are still alive. Now, at Grace Bible Church, we believe that the rapture is the next event in God's program of future events. And since there are no other events of significance before that, we should expect that the rapture may come at any time. Let's see if I can get this. There's the rapture, and we are somewhere in here, and I think very close, as I look at the events of today, 
we're very close to this line. Would you agree? I didn't hear you. Okay. What happens when the, the church is raptured, we will be taken out of this world. And the Bible says the restraining influence, which we take, understand that to be the Holy Spirit, will be taken away as well. So what is the condition of the people left during this time? They have rejected Jesus Christ, and they will go through judgment, seven years of judgment. Now, I'll explain that a little bit as, as I go, as I look through my notes here. Um, okay, I said that the rapture may come at any time. Its occurrence will usher in the next event, which, which we'll be looking at for the next several weeks, the tribulation. And according to this view, the church will be exempt from all suffering related to the horrific events that follow. Therefore, encourage each other. You won't have to go through this. Furthermore, it's observed that after chapter 3 of Revelation, there is no mention of the church until we get to chapter 19 when it is mentioned that... Uh, in reference to the bride of Christ, which takes in the church at the marriage feast of the Lamb in chapter 19. So here, we begin our lengthy study of the tribulation, a seven-year period of divine judgment on the nation of Israel for their rejection of Christ and his offer to be their king as well as non-believing Gentiles all over the world who will also be this object of God's fury. However, as we will see, by God's continued grace, a small percentage of both Jews and Gentiles will come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, but will suffer persecution during this time. They are, we are gone, they will still be here, okay? I hope that, that uh, graphic uh, represents it really clearly for you. But they will suffer persecution such as no Christians have ever suffered because of their faithful testimony and refusal to submit to Satan's evil plan. <clears throat> and at its conclusion, over here, at the end of the seven-year period, we will see the return of Jesus and he will establish his kingdom for a thousand years and beyond into eternity. That's the period of the millennium. Now, the main idea as we look at, at, at the uh, judgment to, to continue that are, that are coming, God's people can face suffering with patience in an unjust world because of the assurance that God will one day vindicate them. When we discover that God's mercy and wrath both work hand in hand and that God brings about redemption through judgment, we will have a much clearer and more balanced understanding of the God we love and the God that we serve. So let's look now at Revelation chapter 6 
And with the first section, I guess what we want to uh, focus on is that Jesus is the sovereign judge of this world. Whatever happens in this world, it is under his sovereignty. So these first four seals belong together. Okay, here we go. And let's look at them one by one. In these first four seals, we have characters, persons that are are well known throughout the world, even if you don't know, you've never opened your Bible. These are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And there are many applications to people throughout history that may be represented or, or whimsically uh, kind of we borrow the, them as a, a, as a reference to other people, including football players at Notre Dame in the 1920s. Let's go to this uh, next slide of verses 1 and 2. If you've got your Bibles open, you can look there or we'll put it on the screen. screen. As I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, say it with me, come. Now that sounds like thunder. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head and he rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. The first seal, John sees the lamb, Jesus Christ, breaking that first seal, and immediately one of the four living creatures who we met in chapter 4 cries out, come, with a voice of thunder, which is symbolic of a coming storm of judgment. In fact, the first mention of thunder in in, in the Bible is in connection with God's judgment on Egypt and Exodus chapter 9, God has always judged humankind for sin and will continue to do so even more severely during the tribulation. In biblical times, the horse was considered a war machine, and white can symbolize victory. Verse 2 does not say who is riding this white horse. However, if you take Uh, What happens during the first uh, three and a half years of the uh, tribulation, it is very likely that this is the Antichrist or his system. And the Antichrist is the devil's Messiah. His goal is to deceive the entire world. And he has a bow, but no arrows. That's curious. He has the the armature to, to... to bring about war, but he doesn't need the weaponry complete. He's going to use marketing. His goal is to deceive the entire world. He has a bow, no arrows, and a crown for the purpose of conquering. This is the type of crown given to a conquering general. This is not the crown that an emperor would wear. Many of today's greatest thinkers today speak of the need of a one world government, a new world order. And I remember 
one of our own presidents, I won't say his name because he's so dear to us, using this one world order. This is what we are being pushed towards. The Antichrist will camp on this and make peace his campaign message. He will be the architect of a peace pact with Israel prophesied in Daniel 9.27. This will stabilize the war-torn Middle East, but it is a false peace. Nevertheless, the world will buy in and will allow him to be enthroned on earth as, as a god and a political leader. Nevertheless, John is clear that God is sovereign over all his diabolical activities. It is the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who opens the first seal and those that follow, and God is the one who gives the Antichrist a crown and the ability to conquer. The rider on this white horse isn't going to do anything beyond what God has given him to do. God is sovereign. So please don't worry or fret. If you are in some perilous situation, God is working all things together for good. Maybe you've heard that before. Now, when the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take, given, given, a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. The red horse symbolizes bloodshed and war, which hum, humankind has always been familiar with. In the 4,000 years of record, recorded history, there have been only 268 years of peace. Here, though the Antichrist forces take peace from the, here though, I'm sorry, the Antichrist forces take peace from the earth. Clearly, before Christ's second coming, the world is going to take a devastating turn for the worse. It's easy to see how this could happen. Even in our lifetimes, we've seen things change. In our times, hate speech rules the airwaves. Yesterday's news was dominated by violent assaults, radicalized individuals or political idealists, daily dehumanizing atrocities, large-scale fraud, assassinations at every level, invasions and bloody wars on all continents. Yet all will pale in comparison with the Antichrist's reign of terror. But the Bible is clear. There will be no peace until the Prince of Peace returns. At the beginning of the tribulation, the Antichrist offers a false peace. It only lasts three and, and a half years. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, Jesus offers true peace and it lasts for a thousand years, as we said, and then extends into eternity. You can have peace with God right now by receiving Christ. That peace treaty, God will never break nor allow Satan to break. Trust in Jesus today. And while you await his return, remember that God will righteously and patiently judge this world. Now, when the lamb broke the third seal, 
I heard the living, the third living being say, and I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. The black horse symbolizes mourning and famine. This third horseman carries in his hand a pair of scales, the kind used to measure out grain. I remember being in Guatemala and people doing, biz, uh, doing business in the market. And the people, the, the vendors of their, their produce had scales to weigh them out. Okay, this is the scene. You go to buy grain and they will, someone, probably the rider of this horse, will carefully dole out to you only what you can afford, only what it's worth. Food will have to be weighed out and rationed with care. Worldwide famine from war causes great shortages and inflation. Seems though this is something like we've experienced lately, doesn't it? A man will have to work all day to make only enough money to buy wheat for one meal a day for his family, and maybe not even for his family. Many families will have to resort to buying barley, a cheaper grain often used for animals. The cry, do not damage the oil and the wine, means rising level of inflation will not affect luxury items mainly enjoyed by the rich, but the poor would have little money left over for these commodities. The devastating war conditions would immediately affect the poor, but the rich might not be affected initially during this period. Another case of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Today, more than half the world goes to bed hungry. And many, of, in, many in our country throw away enough food to feed a family of six in many needy countries. Our dogs have a higher protein diet than most people in the world. For many of us, hunger is not having a bowl of ice cream before going to bed. We don't know what hunger is. But in the tribulation, everybody will go to bed hungry. Now when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, oh, you're good. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. The term ashen, uh, I believe, is that what we use? Uh, pale green refers to a pale greenish color. And I, when I hear that, I think of the color, the coloration of a corpse. Presumably, the Antichrist is the writer, since his name is Death. Following on his heels is the, is the grave, or Hades, which is the destination of the souls who don't know Christ as Savior. 
The mention of Hades following with him leaves no doubt that those who are slain will be unsaved people who will be cast into hell until they stand before the great white throne judgment, which we'll see in chapter 20. God who gives the death and Hades the authority to take one-fourth of the world's population, which is, in today's uh, wor uh, uh, world, is about two billion souls. This is more than the population of China and the United States combined. It would be the greatest destruction of human life in history. And the four causes of death will be by the sword or uh, modern warfare, let's say, two, hunger, three, pestilence or plague, and four, wild beasts. And these last two are particularly interesting. Under pestilence and plague, we have experienced in our day AIDS, Ebola, smallpox, and drought. And interesting, back to the animal world, the animal kingdom, studies show that rats and fleas, anybody can carry fleas, right? Transmit bubonic plague among 35 other diseases. They also carry typhus, which has killed an estimated 200 million people over the last four centuries. And what about the current pandemic of coronavirus? According to the World Health Organization, the Corona-19 virus has caused so far the death of more than six hundred six six and a half million people worldwide. As horrible as death in Hades are, their power is limited to what Christ permits. They too will be given their authority. Remember, in chapter 1, verse 18 of uh, of, of Revelation, we saw that Jesus holds the keys to death in Hades. He is in complete control. But it's worth noting that sometimes God's judgment comes as he allows human sinfulness to run its course. The seal judgments are a result of humankind rejecting God. So while God is certainly sovereign, we ultimately have no one to blame for the sin's consequences but ourselves. Next, we kind of move into another area where Jesus' attention turns to someone else. And Jesus will righteously avenge his people. Will those not taken in the rapture still have a chance to turn to Jesus? Well, let's look in this next verses, 9 through 11. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. And they shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were, yet, who were to be martyred yet, had joined them. Now let's make five little uh, brief observances here. First, John sees an altar and un under which the souls of those who had died for their faith during the first four seals 
yes, people will still be, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ even during the tribulation. The martyrs are found underneath the, or, uh, underneath the altar, which is a reference to their blood being spilled for the cause of Christ. A reminder of the Old Testament when priests would pour some of the sacrificial blood on the altar and pour the remainder under the altar. They are the remainder. The lives of these martyrs were sacrifices that pleased God. Nonetheless, these martyrs were very much alive. At death, the body sleeps, but the soul of the believer goes to be with the Lord. And we must always remember that men may destroy our bodies, but they cannot kill our souls. Second, the martyrs were killed for the same reason John was exiled, the word of God and their testimony. John and the martyrs gladly put their lives on the line for the Lord because they believed the word and lived it out. They likely also understood the special honor that God promised to those who are willingly who willingly sacrifice their lives for him. Will you be bold and courageous to come to the cause of Christ? I leave you with that thought. Thirdly, the martyrs seek divine justice against their murderers. Instead of using the typical word for Lord here, kurios in Greek, they use a title that means sovereign Lord. And the word sovereign Lord in the Greek is despotes, which sounds like despot. A despot is a leader who grabs what he can from those that he can to do what he wants with it without giving accountability to anything, anyone. These martyrs acknowledge God's uh, ownership and his right to use their lives as he desires. Their prayers, though, for revenge upon their enemies are the fifth judgment against the earth dwellers. And this is not a cry for revenge, but for God's justice to prevail against the atrocities of humankind and rebellion to God. Like the prayer, your kingdom come, they are praying for the return of Jesus, which ushers, ushers in God's righteous, uh, righteous and just reign on the earth. Now, contrast this with the prayers of Jesus and Stephen at the end of their life as they're facing death in which they ask God to be merciful to their murderers. The difference here is that the time of God's long-suffering now has ended. He has begun to pour out his wrath on sinners. Next, we see that God tells the martyrs to rest until his plans are accomplished. He will avenge the death of the martyrs at the right time, and in the meantime, the patient, patience is required. Remember, in, in 2 Peter 3.15, we read, Remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. We must patiently persevere in the midst of unjust treatment. God will righteously and patiently judge this world. And finally, God's program will not be hindered by martyrdom. The early church father, Tertullian, wrote in the third century, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. In spite of all the attempts throughout history to persecute the people of God, more and more are added. 
the hundred million martyrs who died for their faith in the last century, the 20th century, are more than those martyred, martyred in the previous 19th century of the church combined. Yet, the church throughout the world is growing at an unprecedented rate. Revelation never encourages us to seek out persecution, but it does call us to be faithful no matter what the cost. We must know how to graciously and sensitively speak up without causing unnecessary offense. But Jesus reminded his, fo his followers, his disciples, the world would love you as one of its own if, it, if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Finally, in the, there's a third section that we're going to look at where Jesus intervenes personally in the judgment of, of the people and radically alters his creation. The scene now shifts back to earth as Jesus opens the sixth seal and brings humanity to its knees. In, in uh, these verses, John records that the earth will be assaulted by six cosmic catastrophes. Let's read. As I watched as the, I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth. The moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree, shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all the, and all the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then he gets personal. That was creation. But now he deals with people. Then everyone, kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, Every slave and free person all hid themselves in caves and among the rocks on the mountain. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive? Okay, we see those uh, 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 catastrophes, and I'm going to skip over them because they're clearly mentioned, except that, have you ever gone through an earthquake? Uh, raise your hand if you have. It is adrenaline filling, but you get weak in the knees and you say, where can I run? Okay, then after that, um, the sun will become black as sackcloth made of hair. This sackcloth was a very rough cloth made of the hair of a black goat and warm in times of mourning and despair. Remember Job, this is what he was wearing in his despair. The blackening or darkening of the sun as a sign speaks of God's judgment and the conclusion of his long suffering. What causes this darkening? Air pollution, I suppose, caused by the ash and the dust and the debris which will fill the sky when the earth begins to quake. Not only will the sun become black, John tells us the whole moon will become like blood. As a sign, this speaks of the loss of life. The atmospheric changes due to the trembling of the earth and the heavens, particles or substances will be in the air which will cause the moon to take on a red cast. Then he talks about the stars. The stars in the sky, they are not the stars that we know, these uh, solar uh, pieces that give light, like the sun. Those are so enormous, they don't fall 
on us. So it is in, in, in the time of, of that John writes, they didn't know all of that. They saw any light in the sky as a star. But it was probably meteorites that were falling down uh, upon them. And certainly that was a cause for fright. Finally, the sky will appear to split and roll back into two opposite directions. The universe will seem to be coming apart, which gives humanity a window-like look into heaven. Wouldn't you like to see that through the Hubble telescope? These verses are truly tragic, and in the midst of the most horrifying suffering imaginable, all of humanity so indifferent to the claims of God, so bent on pleasure, luxury, and fame, they will face in that day its terrible need. We have eliminated in our day God from textbooks, from our society. God doesn't exist. We believe in evolution. We worship nature and the environment. And so when these things happen, what do they happen to the people? They run to the mountains and the rocks, and they cry out to the mountains and the rocks, save us, because they don't even know that God exists. They have forgotten that he exists, except for now his judgment. Isn't that curious, the time that we live in, setting the table for this event? I get excited about that. The awesome clo scene closes in, in, in verse 17 with the question that remains unanswered. Who is able to stand? Whether or not you're able to stand against the trials of this world depends on who stands with you. And if you're unsure about where you stand in relationship to Jesus Christ, trust in him today. Now, while I give some closing observations for our consideration, I ask uh, and invite the worship team to come up and take their place. And then I will conclude with three observations. The first observation is that God will righteously and patiently judge this world. A study of, <clears throat> a study of God's punitive dealings with the human, sinful human race shows that God is always right always patient, always precise, and always certain in his verdicts, while his grace never stops operating, providing reconciliation to those who will accept it. Second point, the doctrine of the tribulation should be a treasured truth for all believers. It's painful. We tend not to go there. With Revelation being the last inspired word of God, its content must be truly known and shared. Since the prophetic accounts of the tribulation compose over two-thirds of this book, the information conveyed to us by John demands that we listen and obey what, to what it says, for the time is near. We read in Revelation 1.3, no one other than Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was qualified and selected to hand over these end-time disclosures, events. And finally, the third point, 
the lessons from the tribulation should drive all believers to share the gospel of hope. If we as members of the church will not be subject to the coming judgments of Jesus during the tribulation, our knowledge of those events and the severity of those events makes it incumbent upon us to share the saving message of salvation by God's grace and the blood of Jesus with as many loved ones and acquaintances while we are still here among them. All because we got the early edition. Let's pray. Lord, you desire that your kingdom be reestablished that was taken away from you by the sin of Adam, of Adam and Eve and passed on to us in each generation since. But God, you are gracious in all your dealings to bring us back to you. And we recognize that gracious uh, mercy. And we confess our distractions that even cause us to stumble. Thank you for the images before us of the suffering, the destruction, and death. And allow us to see the lost in their perilous condition and the love that you have for them even until the very end. Amen. Now, any of you who would like to give your life to Christ, your love to Christ, your future to Christ, feel free to come forward at the close of the service, and we would like to pray with you as we did earlier. Don't leave this morning if the Lord has worked in your heart. Don't let this opportunity go by. If there's somebody you see with one of these tags or someone else that comes up, make sure you seek them out. Don't let this day go by without getting right with God.